Welcome to this episode of Secrets and Sins. I'm Rita Douglas, and I'm joined here with Alexandria Persing. How you do? Carly John. Um, Kaylee Ward. I am going to talk about the TV show Gotham. It does have quite a bit of violence, but nothing too terrible, so probably should be okay, but if you have any way that you think that it might not be okay, then probably don't listen, but I think we should be okay for the most part. Today, I'll be talking about a show called Black Spot on Netflix that has both mystery and gothic elements to it. And a content warning for that, this is for the second half of the episode, is depiction and description of drug addicts and overdose, depiction and description of suicide by various means, a discussion of rape, and also murder and lots and lots of gore. So any of those things bug you, definitely don't watch the show. I'm going to try not to talk about them as much as possible in the episode. Alrighty, so I'll start talking about Gotham. It was a newer show, probably came out in the teens of the 20s. It was based off of the Batman comics, and it starts with Bruce Wayne as a younger kid and goes through the death of his parents and also introduces James Gordon who is a detective for the police in Gotham, as well as other detectives, and also goes around with the gothic and mystery in that way, seeing as it is a crime and detective depiction of the show. But just kind of to start off with, just the way that the show itself is filmed is very in a gothic manner. Um, The filters that they use for like the entire show, there's no color anywhere. Everything's mainly black colored. Also, the music is very dark and not happy ever. I'm not sure if any of you guys have seen part of the show and have any ideas that you want to explain about that. Yeah, I can definitely add to that. Like you were saying, like the color scheme or the palette is very much just black and grays. I mean, the whole city itself, you know, is seen as like very dirty and just there's not really a lot of colors going on and it really sets the tone. I've only seen a couple of the first episodes and it's been a while, but I definitely remember feeling like it was just very grungy. It was the style that I got from the first couple of episodes, especially with the fact that like Bruce Wayne was younger. I was kind of surprised by that, I guess, because usually when you hear about like Batman stories, you know, he was rich when he was young and everything was nice. It was kind of an interesting tone to set in the show right off the bat. Yeah, I definitely think that that was an interesting way to start it. I've only seen like the commercials for it. I've never actually seen like a full episode or like even part of an episode, but the logo and the way that they like presented it was always like black and gray, dark color scheme. Like you were saying, Rita, like a grungy feel. And I can like understand why, but I don't know. It was always like this world that like you kind of wanted to explore, but it was like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't. Like if I step my toes in there, like maybe something bad would happen. But there was always that like factor of what would happen if I did, you know. That kind of relates back into the gothic and the mystery and the way that like it's unknown and you're not really sure. Like you have that feeling where it's like, oh, I kind of want to like check it out. I want to jump in and see what's going on. But at the same time, it's kind of that fear of like, oh, I don't really know what I can expect seeing as it's such like a different depiction of the show. It does pull a lot of stuff from the comics, not just like the Batman movies that everybody's used to. So you are introduced to new characters that you haven't seen before. Also, another interesting character that you can relate to both the gothic and mystery, I would say, is James Gordon. He's always having a moral conflict 
whether that be with like his personal life or in like just crime kind of saying like what is right and what's wrong what do I actually want to pursue as a problem rather than like letting it slide they have a lot of depictions of spies and kind of like working double-sided in the crime department that can also be like kind of a gothic thing like two-faced like you don't really know like how anybody really is just because they're kind of all over the place kind of with like James Gordon as well when you're talking about like the moral conflicts that he faces throughout the whole show it's very reminiscent of when Bruce Wayne later becomes Batman and it's the moral conflict of like what's like the line that you draw what's going too far and with James especially you see that in the show internally he wants to do good he wants to be a good cop and a good detective but there's all this injustice going on in Gotham and so there's a lot of times where he does kind of cross like his own moral line and so there's a lot dealing with that throughout the show. Another aspect that you see throughout the show through multiple characters is the lack of reverence for the dead. I know that we haven't really touched on it a whole lot in class itself, but I know that is a theme that's pretty um, prevalent across lots of different mediums. Kind of like most of the time you'd consider like criminals to not really have like that reverence for the dead, like and you actually start to see that happen a little bit in the detective department with like the corruption of like their morality just being kind of enthralled in all of the people in Gotham and kind of working with the criminals and the detectives at the same time and kind of just like oh they're kind of right over here but they also have some correct points over here and it's kind of like trying to figure out which way they want to go but you kind of see st some of the lack of reverence in James the character as well as Catwoman who's going to be Catwoman and Bruce Wayne himself he kind of starts to shift after the death of his parents and you kind of get to see that mental shift and that moral shift after those things have occurred. Because how the show really starts is with the death of Bruce's parents, which we all probably know, like his parents get shot. And so at first you kind of view it in the lens with him, you know, kind of like his innocence of a child and stuff kind of starts to go away. Like we see it not only through his eyes, but also through James Gordon, who just recently kind of joined the GCPD and is rising as a detective. So we're seeing it in his eyes and right away he kind of promises Bruce, like, I'm going to catch, you know, whoever did this to your parents. And that is like one of the main themes throughout the show is this kind of guilt that James has throughout it. But then it also with Bruce, like you were saying, like throughout the show, kind of his morality and like the reverence for death, it gets kind of challenged because he has so much anger and resentment, especially towards, you know, Gotham at this point, the criminals and everything. And with Alfred, his butler, he kind of helps him channel that and kind of teach him the lesson of that he has to be different than the killers and he can't cross that moral code. I feel like two other characters that are pretty prominent in the way that they express the gothic and the mystery is Fish Mooney and Cobblepot, who is Penguin. Fish Mooney is actually like created just for the TV show, and she's kind of seen as like the head like mobster kind of of Gotham. She's always like knows everything that's going on, and she has all these people and all these different connections. And I recall in one episode, actually, content warning, sorry, this is going to be pretty gross, but um, she actually takes a spoon and scoops out her own eye. So um, I could relate ta that to uh, deformity 
in the way that like gothic kind of goes around deformity as seeing that as something that's kind of like gross and like a character that you don't really want to be involved with she's definitely got a lot going on that you probably don't want to be involved with so it makes sense that she's actually the character that does get deformed and i find it interesting that they made it to where she actually deforms herself rather than someone else doing it because she actually did it so someone else wouldn't Besides Fish Mooney with like the whole idea of deformity, another character that really does that is Jerome, who pretty much, you know, kind of becomes the Joker. It's a little bit like with Jerome, he goes through a lot of um, facial changes throughout the show. Uh, when we originally see him in his introductory episode, he looks pretty much fine. But when he joins Theo Galavance and pretty much become almost like a pseudo-suicide squad, he actually gets killed. His throat was sliced. Uh, what happens later is that he actually gets brought back from the dead pretty much. He's alive again. And one of his kind of crazy fan admirers uh, cuts kind of a part of his face off. And so when he awakes, he doesn't have his face and his throat, like his voice is different because his throat was also cut open. And so he gets his face back. He very poorly tries to put it back on. Um, and then going with like the penguin, like one of the reasons why a lot of people, you know, he's known as, you know, Oswald, Cufflepuff, but everyone called him the penguin as kind of an insult because you know, kind of almost like a disability because he, you know, he had a cane and he pretty much limped around. He had a limp. And so people say, oh, you kind of waddle like a penguin. And so that's where he got the nickname. Yeah, I think there's something super kind of uncanny with the whole self-mutilation thing, especially there was something that you mentioned that really made me think of that. I can't remember what it was. Well, partly, partially the character Jerome that had his throat slit and came back and then, um, sounded different and looked different. I mean, that obviously has a lot to do with it, but also just the sort of trauma of going through stuff like that and having to live with it afterwards is very gothic as well. Just kind of going back to death, I mean, the whole show, so many people die throughout the show. I mean, the first time that the, like the first few minutes, two people are already dead. And so that's just kind of one of the things and kind of what you mentioned earlier about like, this like lack of remorse that goes on with criminals, but it's not just criminals. It's kind of kind of become almost all of Gotham, and you see it happening to the characters and this almost lack of respect of the of the dead and of death. Because I mean, people every day, like every episode, usually starts with someone getting killed, and it usually ends with someone getting killed. And what's kind of interesting is seeing, like, even though the deaths, I would say, you know, throughout the show and as long as the show goes on, there's a lot where it gets way more brutal. But there's kind of like almost this normalcy that is within Gotham that is kind of a very scary yet interesting idea because Gotham's a place where, you know, it happens all the time. And so there really isn't like this respect, remorse, or really anything for the dead because they're more concerned about what's going to happen in the future or like what's going to happen to them personally. You can also relate that into um, just kind of the undead, kind of the theme of like people coming back from the dead. I know that you explained uh, Jerome or the Joker character coming back to life. Pretty sure there was a couple other instances throughout the show where someone was seen to go like missing or killed and then they eventually came back kind of in a different form. Yes, that that definitely happens a lot to many characters. Um, Even I think with like Fish Mooney, eventually she does get killed. But there are some instances where she does come back or she goes missing. Um, With like 
uh, Oswald Kapovat, there are many points where like people think they killed him and he'll like disappear and then he'll come back in terms of like how Gotham and just the Batman universe has been shown in media like where I kind of pull distinctions I guess is like what differs this show in particular and makes it like actually gothic is like I think of like you know the Dark Knight series where a lot of people think of that when they think of Batman and they're pretty much familiar with it but really like aesthetically it's not that gothic looking the city really isn't that dirty grungy or anything like that but if you look especially in the comics with a Gotham TV show it really tries to like emphasize and bring out what Gotham is supposed to look like it's supposed to show kind of like the evil the uncanny the grotesque within like within the people and show it within the city and that's how kind of how I always viewed it like it's the city is so corrupt that the city itself you know shows that it emulates that what's interesting about the show because like you know it does grab a lot from how the gothic used detectives but this one I would say is different in a sense of it's more kind of like since he's also a cop there's a bit of a difference where you know it's not like oh here's a clue here's a clue I I know exactly who did it but there is a lot of like I would say investigating the amount of times they have to go to mostly shady people like in the first few seasons they usually go to Fish Mooney because she's kind of one of those like double agents I would say where she's pretty much mostly bad and they're aware of that but it's because of the connections she has with everyone all the other mob bosses every criminal out there and so there's kind of like a lot of themes of who do you trust and when do you trust and why do you trust someone I would say. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of mystery in that aspect. Is that kind of in the movies, they depict it where there's only one criminal going on at the same time. Like, there's, like, the Joker, and that's, like, just that one movie, and then the other movie has, like, Bane, and it's just that movie. But in the show, there's, like, so many criminals going on at the same time that you really don't know who's doing what. And most of the time, they kind of tangle into each other, where, like, multiple things are happening at the same time, and it's never just one person. So I feel like that's another thing relating, like, mystery is that it's not super clear as to what's happening all the time, and that's how you want mystery novels or shows to go, is you don't, you can't just guess what's going on, and I feel like they have a really good depiction of that throughout Gotham. Yeah, and I I don't read DC Comics, so I'm not sure how it is in the comics, but it also, I guess I assume that they kind of focus on one person at a time, so maybe that's kind of a nice thing that the show has to add a little spice to it, make it a little more interesting at times that you don't really know who it is. Yeah, and I would say just like, I think it's harder to have like multiple kind of villains going on in like a movie rather than like a TV show. They really, because I think they had like, there was a lot of seasons. It went, the show ran from like 2014 up until like last year, I would say. And so it's a lot of time to uh, only, not only establish the characters, but grow them as characters. And so kind of just like one of the elements of gothic literature is kind of like the villain. But what's interesting about this is that there's way more than one and there's way more people that are kind of more in the gray area, almost like an anti-hero, but not exactly. Where you're not really sure whose side they're always on. It's mostly just like it can just depend on the situation or how they feel. It's hard with a show like Gotham where it bounces around from case to case so much and you know you don't have like one big case that you can have all these fun little tropes to dissect. Uh, Do you recall the name of the other detective that works for Gordon? 
I know it. I I should know it. One sec. Uh, I think his name is Harvey. It's Harvey something. It's no, it's not Harvey Dent. No, it's, it's not Harvey. Dent. What? It is okay. It is Harvey Bullock. Harvey Bullock. Okay. Another thing that I would relate uh, Gotham to for the mystery aspect is Harvey Bullock and um, Jim Gordon together. Um, They're kind of like a pair. It kind of resembles um, uh, Sherlock and Dr. Watson because Bullock is kind of seen as like the numbskull like character who's always wanting to like beat people up or like shoot people always ready to like fight and not really like think through stuff and Gordon's more of the thinker like what was going through their mind kind of like trying to take into account what the person was thinking when they were committing the crime to kind of figure out who actually did it. Yeah I would definitely say they you know they being together is very much kind of like mirroring Sherlock and Holmes probably more in like a modern way, I would say, but Harvey, especially, you know, he's been um, a detective, you know, for like 30 years or so, you know, and then you can compare it to like Jim Gordon, who like, he just joined, he's very new, and he's like very set on like, these are the rules that we follow, like we have to do it like with the protocol and everything. And with Harvey, I mean, like, he's drunk most of the time, you know, and he's very, like, doesn't really care. He kind of takes the emotion out of what he's doing, and for Jim, he really struggles with that, so there's kind of a back and forth with that. With Harvey, he's way more willing to, like, give up on something than Jim, that where Jim will stick with it and actually figure out what's going on and not, like, give up so easily. Were you gonna add something earlier, Rita? I feel like I accidentally cut you off. Um, oh, I was just gonna say that it was when you guys were talking about, um, how much, like, death there is in this show. Uh, honestly, a lot of the stuff that you've been saying is stuff that, like, I'm definitely gonna talk about, and I had no idea that I could relate Gotham so much to this, because when I think of Gotham, I mean, in all the movies and all the comics, it's always been, like, such a corrupt city, where definitely crime is just normalized, because that's just how life is there. And I didn't even think about, like, it's definitely got a different attitude towards that sort of truth. But the show Black Spot does a lot of the same stuff where, like, murder is just normal. So everybody kind of lives their life and copes with it how they can. Yeah, I didn't even, I would never would have made that connection before this conversation, though. I think I've covered most of the points that I want to, like, talk about. Sounds good. Well, I will start off by, well, first off, the show is called Zone Blanche. I know that none of you have seen it. At least I don't think any of you have seen it, right? Uh, Yeah. No. It's called Black Spot in English. So just a bit of background. It's called that because it's in like a dead zone where there's no cell reception. There's no GPS reception. They joke in the show that even the microwaves are on the fritz sometimes. And it's interesting that they do that because I think it's only to set like the mood of the show because they never use it as a plot point. Every time that someone's trying to get a hold of another character and they can't, it's because they're purposefully ignoring their phone that's definitely ringing and not because they're in this dead zone. It's never once used. But the town is called Vifanche and it's in the middle of the forest in the mountainy area of France. And so the overarching plot of the show is that there is a police department and they go through, I mean, every episode has a new like murder or series of murders that they investigate, but the overarching mystery is that the mayor's daughter went missing a couple months ago and the case has gone cold. And so there's only a couple of people left who are actively looking for the daughter. I think that this is more of a gothic show than a mystery show, despite the fact that it is definitely like a crime thriller, just because there is plenty of supernatural stuff 
that doesn't end up getting explained. And I think that's a big part that kind of puts it more in Gothic than mystery, the fact that they leave some of it ambiguous. But some of the uh, more Gothic elements that it has are definitely, so the big bad of the show is the mayor's family. They are kind of corrupt, white patriarchy, oppressing the whole town. There's not a lot of othering in the show, which I thought was very interesting for how Gothic it seems. I would argue that the only people they other is the rich family that's running the town. Even the district attorney who comes in in the beginning, he's definitely seen as an other for like all of two episodes, and then he's perfectly fine, and they call him a chum too, so I'm not sure what happened there. But definitely there is enough supernatural stuff. There is a monster, first off. Is it a god? Is it a monster? Is it just some weirdo living in the woods? That is not described in the first season, which is all that I'm going to talk about. But it kind of looks like, if you've ever seen NBC's Hannibal, it looks like the weird deer thing that they have there. Like a person with deer antlers just running around in the woods, maybe murdering everyone. And then like the crows that are there, there's crows everywhere that are constantly following the characters around, maybe helping them find clues. There's a wolf in a couple of episodes that definitely help them solve cases and find clues. And the wolf itself is actually viewed as like the personification of the forest, which is super interesting. I think that the forest itself counts as a character in the show because they're constantly referring to it as something with a mind of its own. But I think that a lot of the show integrates the mystery and the gothic together. And the main thing that I wanted to talk about with both of them is the two characters that are actually searching for the mayor's daughter. The first one is the sheriff, Lochlen. She is obviously searching for her because she's the sheriff, but also she kind of has an affair with the mayor, so there's a little bit of a personal thing there. And then the sheriff's daughter, Lochlen's daughter, Kocha, she is looking for the mayor's daughter as well because they were best friends. The fun thing is you have the sheriff who is running the town. She's generally kind of a stone-faced person. She was kidnapped 20 years ago and chained to a mountain for three days and had to cut off her fingers to get out. She's worried that the same thing happened to someone else and she never addressed that trauma and just pushes it way down inside and represses it for the entire show. Meanwhile, you have Kocha, her daughter, who is you know a high school girl, no experience with investigating or anything. One of these people investigates this like somebody trapped in a haunted castle in a gothic novel, running around and trying to find whatever they can find to help them solve this case. The other one uses logic and reasoning and research, and it is not the person you think. The sheriff is definitely convinced that there is some weird thing in the woods that has taken the daughter of the mayor and is acting outside of the law and also outside of reasoning and logic to try and find them. The daughter, on the other hand, is actually using real research. She finds evidence, she follows the clues, she tries to figure it out logically. Those clues lead her to a cult, which she then joins, as you do. But overall, I thought it was very interesting that they sort of flip-flopped um, the characterization and I guess almost the genre that you would expect them to use for that investigation. The other thing that is interesting about that is that Lochen, the sheriff, well, there are eight episodes in the first season and episode seven at the end, they actually find the mayor's daughter. And I will not spoil anything, but when they're about to find her, both the daughter and the sheriff come across this great big clue, two separate clues at the same time. One of them, the daughter finds a scarf in the woods um, that belonged to the mayor's daughter. And so she thinks that she can find out who kidnapped the mayor's daughter by hunting down whoever had the scarf. On the other hand, Lochen, the sheriff, she had a blood sample from the guy who kidnapped her 20 years ago and she ran it and found Belladonna in the system. 
And of course, Belladonna only grows in like one spot in this town. So naturally, she went to look for it. And then we had this split again, where within Lorraine's story, there's also the mystery in Gothic, because she has this clue that she found in a sample very rationally and logically. And then when she gets there, there are little fence posts making like a trail out into the woods, and crows are around each and every one of them, and they just lead her directly to the mayor's daughter. So there's definitely this weird split where it's constantly going back and forth between mystery and gothic in the mayor's daughter's story. And that is really the main plot of the show, even though there's lots of little subplots that happen in between. But I thought that they did a fantastic job of keeping it just unambiguous enough through the sheriff that you th you really do believe that it was like literally a god who took this child from this town but also with the daughter actively going through research you truly think that it was the cult who took the daughter and then spoiler you find out in the end that it wasn't either of those things it was something completely random that was very like least likely suspect of the show to pull because you really had no idea and did not see it coming until then even though the show itself is has a lot of like the gothic and mystery themes, I think with what you said about the rich family kind of being the other and kind of having the prejudice against them almost, it kind of puts like that whole trope of the other and what you expect the other to be in gothic and in mystery kind of on its head and it kind of flips it around. So I thought that was interesting. And the other time where they kind of flipped it around you mentioned was with the sheriff and her daughter. A lot of the times in the gothic mystery and especially in the Victorian age, when it comes to like young women they were kind of seemed at like frail kind of docile naive and so I think they kind of took that and what you would expect like who would be logical would be like oh like the older person the more mature person but I think it's interesting that they kind of flipped that of what most people would expect to have those personality traits and to make the one who's more irrational or kind of goes more on emotion to be like the older of the two and actually the mother with the crows and like the wolf being a big part, that caught on to me because it made me think of like in gothic especially and in horror genres, there's kind of like the theme of bad omens and those animals are typically bad omens. And when you said like the wolf kind of is viewed as like the representation of the forest, it really made me think of Hill House. And what also thought made me think of Hill House was that you said that the forest, they kind of view it as like an actual thing. Like it is kind of personified, like it actually has thoughts and feelings and motives and that especially made me think of Hill House it, especially with the first paragraph in Hill House where it's it is pretty much saying like it's not sane and it's a thing basically with the Ravens too it kind of made me think of Edgar Allan Poe's Nevermore with the Raven and it's kind of seen as like the messenger and it can be seen as death so it's almost interesting to me how the Ravens do lead characters as you said to kind of clues to the mystery that they're solving or the case that they're trying to solve. Yeah, you definitely brought up some stuff that I love. Each of the people who are investigating have their own little plucky sidekicks. The sheriff has her deputy. They just call him Teddy Bear in the show, which is super cute. He's this big buck gay man. <laughs> He's definitely always ready to throw down. And he, both him and the daughter's plucky sidekick is her just her best friend, Pudi. In both cases, it's not necessarily intellect that sets them apart, it is ambition. The two women are both motivated to actually find the mayor's daughter, and the two men both kind of think that it's just sort of a lost cause. So over and over again, you see that the women are being very passionate about explaining things to their sidekick just because they like want to shape them and make them believe that what they think is true is actually what's happening. 
but it's definitely not a matter of intellect. I think in both cases, they're both just as smart as the main investigator. And then with the personification of the forest, yeah, there was one line that really made me think of Haunting of Hill House. There's an episode where there's a cave and they have to go inside and try and find somebody, but there is some sort of fungus in the cave that is a hallucinogen. And they were talking about the forest and she says, it's been that way like for months now. It's almost as if the ecosystem is reacting to something. But the way they worded it in the show definitely made it sound more like it's almost as if they're angry at us, uh, which was super interesting. And with the Ravens, there is definitely a part in the show that I was just like, that's, that is a ripoff of Edgar Allan Poe right there. Because there's a character who has crows following her around all the time. And at one point, there's just like a huge swarm of them that are following her. And she's been yelling out in the whole show, like, leave me alone, why are you doing this? And in this particular instance, there is the swarm of crows that actually attack her. And it was very, the things that she was yelling at them was very nevermore. But yes, in this show, the birds actually do work for the bourgeoisie. They really are spies for the uh, mayor's family, which was an odd revelation to have about halfway through the season. I think it's interesting how they kind of play off the dramatic aspects of the gothic and the mystery by switching the roles of the sheriff and the sheriff's daughter and kind of making the sheriff's daughter the one that's actually using the logic reasoning and then the sheriff being the one that's kind of like go with what my head's telling me and that's it i think it's very interesting that they switch those around also with like the sidekicks and you said that they weren't like listening to the women because they think that they're like crazy or whatever that's kind of like a theme that goes throughout like a lot of stuff is that like men don't really listen to the women because like they don't have the experience they shouldn't know. Yeah, and one of the things that's really big a theme throughout the show is like the brutalization and marginalization of women. They're often the victims of all the smaller crimes that happen in the show. Um, there's very, very few instances where they're either the murderers or like perpetrators of any crimes. And obviously that's a huge trope, not only in Gothic, but I would say that this show is a horror show. And that's a huge part of horror. And I thought they handled it really well where it wasn't like, you know how a lot of horror movies just kind of make it so over the top that you're like, we get it, women are suffering, thank you. The show wasn't that bad about it. It kind of handled it in a tasteful way where it was really actually furthering the plot and not just there for scare factor. Yeah, I feel like the women in despair trope kind of thing goes along with the mayor's daughter being the one that gets kidnapped because it couldn't be anybody else. It had to be like somebody of higher stature, you know. Yeah, kind of what you both are saying about like the fact that it was the mayor's daughter. I think it does really relate to kind of like the tropes and stuff we've seen, especially in the Victorian age, I would say, of the gothic and of mystery, because there was such a thing about class during that time. And so it kind of makes me wonder, like, is the fact that like, you know, how the whole show is pretty much revolving around this one case, it kind of begs the question of like, okay, so like, would the story, would like the plot, would everything be like as important? would it still like the show still exist if it was like someone who doesn't have like that sort of like level of class or like that highest stature of a position or job yeah and I think one of the things that is really interesting is they don't really talk about whether or not the family is rich necessarily because it's kind of a podunk town I don't really think they have rich people but the big thing is power and they are essentially like the mob boss of the town and a lot of the language that they use talking about the case 
So there's the mayor who's actually, you know, running the town, but then there's sort of this Machiavellian villain in his father who used to be running the town and now is sort of using his son to do whatever he wants. And um, both of them never say Marion was taken or anything like that. They don't use her name. They always say my daughter and they put the emphasis on my as if it's like an affront to them that someone would even deign to take what is theirs and not actually out of true concern for her well-being or anything. I know we haven't really talked about it much in um, our class at all, but I know that I've talked about it in previous classes before, is kind of the possession of like people and especially like women in literature and movies and stuff is like they're kind of seen as like objects and they can kind of just like oh this is mine and I feel like that it's interesting that they have the indication with the my all the time. I don't know if you guys have anything else to say about the mystery but there's a couple of things that I feel like I need to talk about with the gothic. I I love the fact that they use the monster as, it's very like Lovecraftian in the way that they use it to build up that cosmic dread because as a TV show, they can do things in a way books can't where at the end of each episode, they sort of have a little snippet of something walking through the woods and you can't tell what it is, but it doesn't actually interact with our characters until episode four, which is a fun episode that is basically just a whodunit murder mystery from from beginning to end. But they have, it opens with like a Blair Witch-esque video of some teens in the woods and one of them gets killed. And throughout the episode, they're analyzing the video and they find sort of a figure in the background and they can't figure out what it is. The viewers can clearly see that it's this deer monster god thing. And they think that it is probably the murderer, which is a valid assumption. And so they're investigating who this person is to try and figure out who they think the murderer is. And then when someone else confesses to the murder, they just completely move on. They don't even think about who else was in the video ever again. They don't address it again. They just move on with their lives, which was so infuriating because I was, you know, ready for the paranormal to actually get into this show. And you don't see the monster god thing interact with the characters again until the very end of episode eight which was killer for me because I was so excited for this monster to actually do something. And every time something happens, it's either explained as not being the monster or they just move on and don't ever reference it again. But the suspense was really good and they did a great job of having it sort of in the background and just barely being relevant to the cases that made you think like, oh, this is it. This is where we're going to see it. And then it never came. And then in the end, it ended up not being as evil as you would think. So definitely threw you for a loop there. That reminds me so much of Frankenstein. You know, you're you're calling it the monster, for example, like it's pretty much just like Frankenstein and the creature where you expect something, you know, that looks grotesque, that looks kind of like the uncanny, etc. Like you expect it to be that on the inside. And so kind of like you were saying, like you were like, okay, is, is this the murder? And even in like the characters, they were kind of at some point saying like, oh, is this like the person who's doing all of this? Or is this the thing that's doing all of this? It kind of like begs the question that, you know, was in the book Frankenstein of like, who really is the monster? And as you said, like kind of at the end, like he wasn't as bad as you thought he would be, which is very much reminiscent of the creature in Frankenstein. Yeah, just to explain a little, I don't want to spoil anything just in case people watch it, but the creature in the end heals a main character. Heals, question mark, maybe through magic, maybe through science, not really clear. Somebody is shot in the stomach several times, should have died, did not die because monster god thing came and buried them under the ground, put some sort of plant juices in there, and then they came back to life. So very much this is what I was thinking of when we were talking about this with the Gotham discussion. Very weird because the main character is thinking that this monster god thing is what kidnapped her 20 years ago. She calls it the woodsman. 
and she thinks that it's something, maybe a person, maybe not, living in the woods, essentially haunting Vitranche. And the fact that it ends up saving someone's life in the end is pretty weird because that is not what you would expect of somebody who kidnapped someone and chained them to a mountain for three days. So we don't know if they're the same person either, which is intentionally left open. And in season two, we kind of discussed that a little, but I'm not talking about season two today. So <laughs> I think it's also interesting how they kind of seem to be used in that reversed imagery again like the backwards imagery i know a lot of times dark figures with like antlers or horns are kind of like considered evil in the way of like satanic cults like that's the main image you get is like the pentagram and then the horns and i think it's very interesting that they would use that as the imagery for that character and then have them not be evil kind of having that like torn between like what you know as like what you grew up knowing like oh that's gonna be evil just because of the way that it looks but oh but it's not that bad and having conflict yeah i was just glad that they included a monster at all because i definitely from the first couple episodes you get the feeling that it's just sort of another crime thriller show but it had been recommended to me as a gothic show so i was really excited for the gothic and then you see a little clip of it at the end and you're like oh okay cool we got monsters in here i can work with that <laughs> yeah that really reminds me of like in Agatha Christie's time when she and the the few other like kind of like detective mystery gothic writers they kind of united and kind of almost made a guideline and in the guideline they're like you can kind of have those elements but you can't say like oh yes this was like a ghost yeah for sure because there's really only a couple of instances where things cannot be explained and otherwise they are so one particular instance that was explained that I think kind of showcases it is the sheriff's daughter was in the woods looking for the mayor's daughter and she's with her friend and all of a sudden some guy comes up on them. He's like one of the mayor's thugs or something. And then something just sort of grabs him and pulls him and drags him through the forest and then he's like shot up into a tree. And you're like, okay, that was definitely an invisible monster. That's great. They run, and then it's not until the next episode that you see that it was actually like wires that had caught on him and dragged him into some sort of net. The unfortunate thing is they explained how he died. They did not explain who put that trap there, so you still don't really know who's responsible for it. But it wasn't supernatural. But there's other things like the crow attack that happens later is very supernatural themed. It sort of just comes out of nowhere, has no idea why it happens. Her being resurrected, essentially, is maybe medical, but probably not. The thing living in the woods could just be a weird guy. Probably not. It's a lot of stuff where it's like, you could explain it, probably, but it's not really that plausible that it's not supernatural with the context of the show. I would be, I would be remiss not to mention, I think, I'm, I said this in the group chat just because I knew Ben, how much Ben loves Dante's Inferno, but I think that it's important that Gothic media references older gothic media seems like it's always inferno or paradise lost and this show is just riddled with inferno references right away in the very first episode there is a suicide that is actually a homicide but um it's a person hanging in a tree and they mentioned the whole seventh ring of hell where um people are turned into trees if they commit suicide and that is interesting for a couple reasons because the tree that she was hung in has an infinity symbol carved into it, which a couple years ago, somebody else had tried to hang himself in the tree and he had that symbol tattooed on his wrist. And she also had that symbol tattooed on her wrist. So it's another sort of interesting thing that gives like personality and life to the forest itself. 
almost referencing that these two people sort of were linked with that specific tree in the forest. Side note, the forest also has bleeding trees. They say it's iron oxide in the soil. I'm not sure, but it's another interesting thing that gives life to the forest. Later on in, I think, episode two, um, the district attorney who comes into town is just sitting there reading the Divine Comedy, and he quotes a couple of lines when somebody, um, the sheriff comes and takes it from him, that perfectly describes the fact that essentially the district attorney is currently making his way through hell by coming to Vifanche and working there for a little while. And then I guess throughout the show, just the biggest thing that I think ties it to Dante's Inferno is that death is always a punishment. These people aren't killing each other for motives besides the fact that someone did something wrong and another person is taking it into their hands to kill them for it. It is absolutely over-the-top dramatic, and I could probably write like a three-page paper on just how many Dante Inferno references are in this show. It is ridiculous. But I thought they did it really well, and it really added to the gothic elements of the show. When you describe the show, especially, it just kind of like, there is kind of like that loss of hope almost sort of feeling. And it feels kind of like, when, especially when you enter the forest, you're just kind of almost drained of like your essence in a way. It really much reminded me of the part, like right in the beginning, basically, of Dante's Inferno. The famous sign as he enters the gate of, gates of hell, where it's like, abandon all hope, ye who enters here. Well, I actually think that's a great note to stop on, and that's all I had anyway. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of Secrets and Sins, and we'll see you on the next one.